Our most eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this morning for your love and your mercy, thankful for your kindness that you have shown each and every one of us assembled here through this past week. You have been a faithful Father and you continue to show us how good a God that you are, how caring that you are, how powerful you are. We know that you are concerned about us in ways that we can never even imagine, but thank you that we have a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, that place on our behalf. It is because he is who he is and for what he has done that we have this high privilege of being called your children. This is what we are. We don't know yet how we will be, but you've assured us that as your son is, so we will be. What a privilege that you have bestowed upon us then. For this, we are obligated to obey your instruction as you have commanded us to assemble together for the encouragement through your word. We have come to do that. And we realize that the human mind cannot understand anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So, Father, it is our request that God the Holy Spirit, the perfect communicator, will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We move on to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 14. It is in the NIV. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is it not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks? A participation in the blood of Christ. And it's not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf, we, who are many, are one body. For we all partake of the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. Do I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything. No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than him? Now this passage of First Corinthians chapter 10 verses 14 through 22 is concerned with prohibition against idolatry and various explanations or reasons the Corinthians and so all believers 
should not be involved in idolatry. Now it is not difficult though to perceive that this section is concerned with prohibition against idolatry, but it may be difficult to recognize that it is also concerned with reasons. The Corinthians and so all believers should not, uh, should not be involved in idolatry. So, at the appropriate time in our study, we will show how we know that this passage is also concerned with reasons for prohibition against idolatry. Now, meanwhile, we present to you the message we believe the Holy Spirit wants us to convey to you regarding this passage. The message is this. Believers should avoid idolatry since everything associated with it is incompatible with the Christian faith. Exposes one to demon and so harms one's fellowship with the Lord. Again, the message. Believers should avoid idolatry since everything associated with it is incompatible with the Christian faith. Ex- exposes one to demons and so harms fellowship with the Lord. There are three parts to that message as we will one is incompatible with the Christian faith exposes one to demons and harms one's fellowship with the Lord. So it is this message that we will expand as we examine the passage that's before us. Now the passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 14 through 22 is indeed a conclusion of the subject the apostle dealt with in the previous section that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 5 through 13 although it is possible that this section concludes the subject of idolatry introduced in the 8th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Now this notwithstanding we maintain that our present passage of study concludes the subject of 1 Corinthians 10 verses 5 through 13. In, the past, in that passage, the Holy Spirit conveyed to us that God killed some Israelites that enjoyed his blessings in the desert for displeasing him, which did serve as an example and warning against displeasing him. We contend that our our passage, our current passage of study, concludes that subject that began in the preceding section. Now how can we be really sure that 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 14 through 22 concludes the previous section? There are two reasons that substantiate our assertion. A first reason that indicates our passage of 1 Corinthians 10 verses 14 through 22 is a conclusion to the subject the apostle dealt with in 1 Corinthians 10 verses 5 through 13 
is the very first word of First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 14. Look at the very first word. Therefore. Therefore. Now that word therefore is translated from a Greek conjunction that is a conjunction used to state the conclusion of a previously mentioned matter and so means therefore can also for this very reason. Now the word appears only twice in the Greek New Testament in 1 Corinthians. The, the other usage of the Greek conjunction beside our passage is in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 13. First Corinthians chapter eight verse thirteen. It is therefore if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. Now in the eighth chapter of First Corinthians the apostle dealt with food sacrificed to idols. Now he made three points about that subject. First, he indicated that dealing with food sacrifice to idols requires differentiating love and knowledge. The second point he made is that this whole thing about food sacrifice to an idol is affected by the possession of knowledge that one has about supernatural beings. And some of you remember when we study the gods. Thought that the subject of food sacrifice to idol is governed by care for the weak in the faith. So after making these points, the apostle ends his teaching with what he stated in verse 13, where he used our Greek conjunction translated therefore in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 14. Hence then, verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 8 is the conclusion to what the apostle had taught regarding the believer with knowledge eating meat, sacrifice to idols that cause problem for a weak Believer. Now, since the apostle has so far in the 10th chapter, uh, he has been teaching about the example God made of the Israelites who sinned in the desert. It makes sense to accept then that the word therefore that begins verse 14 is used to conclude what the apostle taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 through 13. That's, so that's the first reason, that word therefore. The second reason that indicates that our passage of 1 Corinthians 10 verses 14 through 22 is a conclusion to the subject the apostle dealt with in 1 Corinthians 10 5, uh, verses 5 through 13 is a command of verse 14. Look at that command. Flee from Idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Now this command 
flee from idolatry is essentially the same command the Holy Spirit issued through Apostle Paul in the passage we started in First Corinthians chapter fourteen, look at I mean chapter ten, look at verse seven. First Corinthians ten the West Story, look at verse seven. He said, Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan reverie. Now the command, do not be idolaters, and the command, flee from idolatry, as we have said, are essentially the same thing. So that we should recognize that the apostle was still concerned with the failures of the Israelites that serve as a warning to us since idolatry was the first sin the apostle identified in the preceding section that caused God to kill some of the Israelites in the desert. However, as we noted, the apostle then began verse 14 with a, uh, the Greek word that indicates that what is used, uh, what he said is to state the conclusion of a previously uh, mentioned matter. Consequently, because of the Greek word translated therefore in 1 Corinthians 10, 14 and the similarity of the commands in verses 7 and 14. We are confident then that the, that the section of First Corinthians chapter 10 verses 14 through 22 concludes the subject matter that the apostle began, or that he addressed in the preceding section of First Corinthians chapter 10 verses 5 through 13. Now be that as it may, before we examine the command issued in our passage, we should note that the apostle addressed the recipients of the commands that we are looking at in that phrase. Look at that phrase where we are studying in First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 14. Look at the phrase, my dear friends. My dear friends. Now the expression, dear friends, is translated from a Greek word. A, a Greek word. Agapetos. Most of you know agape. It's just T-E-O-S. Agapetos. Now the Greek word pertains to one who is the only one of his or her class. But at the same time is particularly loved and cherished. And so means only beloved. Or it just means only. Does it is the word God the Father used to describe God the Son during the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 17 verse 5. Matthew Chapter 17, verse 5. I'm saying that the Greek word has to do with some 
someone or something in a class, but in this case a person in a class by himself or herself, though well cherished. So here we read, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now the sentence, this is my son whom I love, of the NIV, literally the Greek simply say, this is my beloved son. My beloved son. Now the Greek word may pertain to one who is dearly loved. Hence may mean something like dear, or valued, or prized. Or even beloved. Now the word is a favorite one among the writers of our New Testament epistles. They, it was a favorite word that they used to address the recipients or the various uh, group of believers that were the original recipients of their epistles. So I'm going to prove that point to you. By showing you how these writers of the New Testament epistles use it. Apostle Paul used it to address the Philippians before his instruction regarding their being careful to ensure that their salvation is reflected in their lifestyles. Now, the, what I'm going to be establishing is many that. Before they issue a command, they will address those who are going to receive their command with that word. In other words, you are so beloved. You are so special. Because you are, I want you to X, Y, Z. That's what we are going to be seeing. In other words, it's not something that just thrown everywhere. Those who are highly valued by God mean that they must be in a certain way of life. Because if you are in a class by yourself, it often includes the way you live as well. So this is why the Apostle Paul, beginning with the Philippians, so we see that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It is, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, by the way, the expression, because we started this almost 20 something years ago now, uh, that expression, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, is not a teaching of salvation by works. Nor is it a teaching that believers can improve or enhance their salvation, as that is the work of God from start to finish. So everything about our salvation is completely the work of God from his start to the finish. 
really have no role, really. Except that in his plan, he put us in, and so he puts faith in us, and we believe. But everything is, he does it. So this is why we say this has nothing to do with enhancing your salvation. Instead, it means that the believer must work out his or her, uh, or her, uh, her deliverance from sin in his or in her daily life. And everything that will hamper the believer from enjoying fully salvation in, in this life. In other words, it's up to you. God has given you that ability as a believer, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to exercise that power He's given you to ensure you are victorious over sin. That's what that is. It's not that you have, you know, that is salvation, deliverance, daily deliverance from sin. That's one we all are commanded as believers to do. Now that aside. Our Greek word translated here, friends, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14, is used by the human author of Hebrews to address the recipients of his epistles before giving them the assurance of what God does as it relates to salvation in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 6 verse 9 It is Even though we speak like this They are friends We are confident of better things in your case Things that accompany salvation. As an assurance is given to them. But then he addressed them, their friends. Now James used a Greek word to address the recipients of his epistle before instructing them, as we read in James chapter 1 verse 19. James chapter 1 verse 19. James chapter 1 verse 19 reads, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now here, dear, is a Greek word really. Beloved or one that is dear, as I told you what it means, is dear. So here it's used as dear. Now Apostle Peter uses our Greek word to address the recipients of his epistles before instructing them to avoid a life of sin in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. It is, dear friends, that's the same Greek word, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers 
in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Apostle John used it to address the recipients of his epistle before he instructed them about testing of spirits in 1 John chapter 4 verse 1. First John chapter 4 verse 1. It is their friends again, Agapetos. Their friends do not believe every spirit. They test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Today, very easy. A prophet is one who speaks for God. So, one of the things we can say is in application. There are many false teachers today. That's why they have to be tested. Anyway, Jude used the Greek word to address the recipients of his epistle, as we read in Jude 17. Jude is only one chapter, so Jude 17 is verse 17. Jude 17 reads, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Now again, see the word is used not only to address groups of believers, but the individual believers as well. Those Apostle Paul used it to describe his beloved friend Philemon in Philemon 1. Philemon, that means uh, one Philemon one just means that's one because it's only one chapter. Philemon one reads Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. A dear friend and fellow worker. Look at that dear friend. Dear friend. Now, likewise, Apostle Paul used it to describe Timothy as his spiritual son in Second Timothy chapter one, verse two. Second Timothy chapter one, verse two. It reads. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Doesn't one get the idea that the word dear is an agot? An agot. 
case I didn't pronounce it right, let me spell it. A-R-G-O-T. An agot. What is that? Well, an agot really is often more or less secret vocabulary and idiom or slang peculiar to a particular group. That's what's an agot. So, we're saying that here is an agot among the early church. So you can say, it's a slang among them or something that they use as a unique uh, vocabulary or idiom to address each other. Now, it's, so it's not just a word, but one that conveys love to each other. Unfortunately, most of us modern Christians have lost sight of how dear we should hold other believers in our minds. We've lost sight of that. That was not the case with his apostles. They didn't do that. And not just them. The early church, from what we know, that's how they will address each other part of the time. They will address each other that way. So, we should know that, yes, we have lost sight. But that was not the case with the apostles. So he considered the Corinthians as highly valued and treasured and beloved by him. Now again, I know we live in a world where we have all kinds of things fighting against us, pulling us. Some things that maybe some of these believers did not really actually face in the same way. They did face their own, but not quite the same way we have it today. Today we have so much things pulling on us that we don't have enough time to think about our fellow believer. Uh, like I said, most of you, you spend your time, whatever they call it, you know, tweeting or whatever you do, you don't have, you don't have enough time because you are busy tweeting or whatever you're doing when you have a little bit of free time. So you don't have enough time to think about what about this believer? What about that believer? You don't have time to do that. So all these are pulls upon us. And that's what that means is we really don't realize we become so self-centered. Because all we think is about ourselves. We don't think about the next person. That is what of what this Greek word tells us. That we should be thinking about fellow believers. Think about them as being dear to you. Agapetos. Dear. Now you see, love for a person, because what I'm saying when I say beloved, that's really what it is. We're talking about love for each other. Now love for a person manifests itself in wanting the best for the one loved. If you love a person, you want the best for the person. I'm saying then that if you love someone, you want what is the best for that person. Now that's where it gets a little bit, I would say, tricky. Because of what I just said. You want what's the best for that person. Well, the thing that is best for a person may involve something that the individual may consider negative. 
In other words, you can show love to somebody because you think about their best. And whatever you do, they think is awful. Because it's not you know, what they expect. That's what I mean by that. Be negative. But really, in the end, though, that protects the person. For example, it is love that drives parents to discipline their children. As love is the reason for the Lord to discipline those who are his. As the scripture tells us in Revelation chapter 3 verse 19. Now we know, I mean like I expanded uh, sometime in the past. If uh, parents do not discipline their children, they don't love them. I don't care what they tell you. Uh, does it mean that when a, a child is being disciplined by the parent that he or she thinks that parents love him or her? No, they don't. They think you hate them. But look at what we're saying. is, You're not thinking about what the pain they're going through now because it's important that they go through to teach them something. But you're thinking about what are you going to be preventing from happening to them in the future. That's what we call thinking for the best of somebody. I know we all like, you know, this short-term type of gain. Don't forget the long term. And that's why we suffer tremendously in this life. Because we want, you know, whatever it is, let me enjoy now. Let me pay for it later. And when we start paying for it, then we realize how awful it is. So, this is why we know that part of loving a child is discipline. The same way the Lord loves you and me. Part of what, how he shows it, our discipline. That's why Revelation 3.19 says, and it reads this way, Those whom I love, I rebuke. And, look at that word, discipline. So be earnest and repent. So the point is that love manifests itself, sometimes in a negative or painful way, but only so that the beloved will be blessed. You are thinking. Now I keep going back to parents because that's part of what illustrates what we're dealing with. Now he, the truth of the matter is, if you're a parent, you really never. There's never a time you can say, "I am done with my job as a parent." That never happens until you leave this planet. You say, oh no, they are now grown up, married, and have their own children. Yeah, right. But when something happens to them, see how you react. See how you're concerned about them. Why? Because that love is still going on. You haven't changed it. It can't change. So if they are in pain, you are in pain. Unless you, you, know, you understand how to deal with their pains. So that they, they don't drag you down too. But when they are in pain, you are in pain. Because you love them. That's your children. So this is the reason you want to avoid those kind of situations now. By teaching discipline them. It is painful, but it says a lot. So because then, love manifests itself in wanting the best for the one loved. Apostle Paul 
after he converts to the Corinthians, how he values them or how beloved they are to him. That he gave the command of First Corinthians chapter 10 verses, I mean verse 14. That command again say, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Now see the command flee in the Greek form what well, we have a, a, a present tense of a Greek word that is used here. Uh, one of the things is the, again like uh, I've explained to you in the past a tense in the Greek is not the same as in English. When we say present tense in English we're thinking about time. In the Greek, we're thinking about the kind of action. Is this an action that is continuing? Or an action that's completed? Or an action that will take place in the future? That's the kind of thing that we think when we talk about uh, Greek tense. So here we have a present tense. It's in use in our passage. Anyway, the the, uh, command flee in in the Greek form is in the present tense that it is used in our passage is found in the only uh, words used by angel Lord Jesus Christ and the apostle Paul these are the only uh, we say this present form of our world uh, that's where only you find it in the mouth of an angel in the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ or apostle Paul most of us not even use the form that we have here now the command, when used by an angel or by the Lord Jesus Christ, involves primarily ensuring a person or group of persons' safety. When the word is used, when that command is used. So when Herod threatened the life of the baby Jesus, an angel use our command to address Joseph to take an action that ensures the baby's safety as we read in Matthew chapter 2 verse 13. Matthew Matthew chapter uh, 2, verse 13. Actually, you put your marker in uh, this in Matthew because I go to one more passage. I come right back to Matthew. Matthew 2, verse, chapter 2, verse 13 reads When they had gone, that's the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. He said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now in, the, in this passage, our Greek word, ego, is translated escape. Escape. Which is also the meaning, of course, of the Greek word 
in negatively describing. That's the way it's used negatively in describing. The fate of the Israelites that paid no attention to God's word through Moses. As recorded in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 25. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12 verse 25 It is Say to it that you do not refuse him who speaks if they did not escape that's a Greek word. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who wants us from heaven? In other words, those Israelites, they had Moses. He kept telling them, don't go, do, go, go this way, don't do it this way. This is what the Lord says, and they didn't pay attention. And we have just started how God killed a lot of them. So the human author, he will say, if those who heard from Moses didn't uh, get away with it, how much do you think that we will get away since we have one speaking to he- from heaven to us through his word? Anyway, so the word, no doubt, can mean uh, when you're dealing with, since from an angel, for example, he will have to have that concept of safety. Now the Lord Jesus used a command to instruct his disciples what to do because of persecution that will come to them since they will always face persecution as we read in Matthew chapter 10 verse 23. Matthew 10 verse 23. Matthew chapter 10 verse 23. Grace. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Now these are some of those things that I think uh, because people have, first of all, very little knowledge of the history of the American history, really. Uh, so if you say, what are you talking about? I know about, no. Most, most majority Americans don't even know their history. Oh, yeah, and just made you mad, right? Okay, but here's what I'm going to be telling you why I made you mad. Here's the thing. When you read this kind of thing, Think about the fact that this is one of the few countries on this planet that have this provision that those who are persecuted from other parts of the world can come and find safety here. Think about it. Now, this is because those defending fathers understood that. Today people complain, they run from there and there. You don't know what they are running from. If you understand this, because they found their fathers, most of them left Europe because they were persecuted for what they believe. That's why 
That was part of their thinking. Today people think, you know, it's a political issue. It is not. It is something that is people who understood the scripture and what they experienced. Now you see what made you mad? Yeah, okay. So here it is. He said, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. That's our, that's our Greek word, flee. In other words, if you have the privilege, if you have the opportunity to escape from where you are being persecuted, do that. You don't always can have it. And in most cases, those who can't, that's part of God's plan too. And some of them will die. Anyway, say, I tell you the truth. You will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So flee. That's what we see here. Now Apostle Paul used the command wise in his first epistle to the Corinthians. He used it to command avoidance of sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 18. Which we have studied in detail. And uh, one of the blessings of our local church here is we have this is on tape, on the website. You can go back and re listen to them if you forgot what I explained there. But this is what it says flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. And I explain that in detail that what this simply means is that most. The most sins that we commit, it does not involve our body. The impact is not as much as it is on our body as when we commit sexual sin. That's what I explained when we started that. When we studied that. So, a whole lot of people, like I tell you, uh, here's the thing that people don't really understand. God is not like you and me. It's not like us. That is to say, it is not when you think what you did, you you thought you got away with it, you haven't. Because he's not going to let his word not go fulfilled. So, even if nothing happens to you, because you you think you're invincible, you're a teenager, you're in your 20s, 30s, whatever. He's going to come back. When? I don't know. But I can assure you, it will come back. So that it's to your own advantage to pay attention to what the Bible says. Because you're going to pay for it. So that's what it says, a man commits uh, outside his body. But he who sins, sexually sins against his own body. That is, you are inflicting pain for yourself through sexual immorality. Now the apostle used the command, flee. Twice in his epistles to Timothy. He used it to instruct Timothy as one who represents God. To shun any kind of wrongdoing and a desire to be rich. Among other sinful conducts that are not fitting for a person that represents God. As we read in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 11. 1 Timothy, 
chapter 6 verse 11 it is but you man of God flee from all this and pursue righteousness godliness faith love endurance and gentleness now some English versions use the word avoid or, or shun in this in the sense of to keep from doing something by avoiding it because of its potential damage in translating the Greek word the NIV translated here flee. Now the, these meanings though are saying essentially the same thing. Now another usage of the command flee in Apostle Paul's epistle to Timothy is what he must do if he were to be used or to be a vessel of God as we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22 2 Timothy Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 22. It is flee the evil desires of youth. Now it doesn't mean that if you get old that you don't have evil desires. But there are some that are so unique to being a young person. One of them is desire for sexual relationship. Asad marriage. That's one of them. It's one of those evil. A lot of time when people are really old, those things are not an issue. But yes, when you're young, that's why it's an issue. So you say, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the, the Lord out of a pure heart. Thus, we see that the command of flee, when using the scripture, involves avoiding something that threatens physical life, but more so the spiritual life of a believer. So that's an important command. Flee. That's what we're looking at. Flee. Now, in case of the apostles' use of the command in his epistle twice to the Corinthians, it involves two sins of idolatry and sexual immorality for which the Lord killed some of the Israelites in the desert. According to the information that we that we have already considered in the passage we are studying, 1 Corinthians 10. Look at, go back and look at verses 7 and 8. 1 Corinthians that we are studying, chapter 10. Look at verses 7 and 8. Again, it says, Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to involve, uh, to Indulge in pagan revelry. 
We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. So here God is, uh, the apostle, using the word, the same word of that concept of flee. He used it twice. And each, each, case, each case that he used, he had either to do with sexual immorality or idolatry. Now, so they command them, flee, of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14, uh, that we're considering, as we have already alluded previously, is given in the present tense in the Greek. So that is one reason I explained to you what a present tense is. I mean, a tense, really, not just present alone, but a tense in, in, the, in the Greek. So the implication of the use of the present tense in the Greek of the command given here in the word flee, flee, is one that should be repeated. That was, you must continuously flee from it. Flee from whatever it is. It's something you do constantly, constantly. And again, that's a reminder of what I keep emphasizing, that the spiritual life is a, it's a battle. It's an ongoing battle. We never can say, yeah, I've arrived at, you know. We just keep fighting. We keep fighting. Because the enemy keeps fighting. Doesn't give up. So you should not give up. Just keep fighting. Keep fighting. In any effect, the Holy Spirit expects us to flee again and again from idolatry. In such a way that it can be said that we have trained ourselves to find it repulsive to be involved in idolatry regardless of the form it takes. It's not merely that you should run away from idolatry. Your whole person, your whole being should abhor it. Of course, this again comes from the practice of repeated flight from idolatry and having proper teaching on the subject. See, how do we form habit? Do something over and over and over and over. That is, you know, in the Greek, that would be a present tense. Keep doing an action over and over and over and over. And you do something several times before you know it, it becomes a part of you. And once it becomes a part of you, you do it automatic. So in the same way, if you train yourself to avoid idolatry, your whole being is geared now up towards being able to detect anything that is idolatrous in any form or shape so that you can uh, get away from it. So anyway, the command the apostle issued to the Corinthians and so to all of us believers Again, it's given in the passage we are studying, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14. Look at that again. It says, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Now, the word idolatry is translated from a Greek word that refers to image worship. Or the worship of material, material representation 
of a deity. Now the word is used four times in the Greek New Testament. Three times, or three of these, by Apostle Paul. And one time by Apostle Peter. Apostle Paul used it to describe vices associated with a sinful nature in Galatians 5 verse 20. Galatians 5 verse 20 reads idolatry and witchcraft by the way if you recall I've told you that that, witch, that word witchcraft there is really what is drug abuse that's what it really that's what the best way to explain it today it's not witchcraft it's, uh, the Greek word has to do for uh, for and it has to do with drug abuse you see witchcraft or drug abuse hatred Discord, jealousy, fears of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. So the apostle used the Greek word to equate idolatry to greed in Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. Colossians chapter 3 Verse 5. It is Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 reads, Put to death. Therefore, again, uh, when you see this kind of command, it assumes this, that you're a believer, because it's written to believer. It also assumes that you're allowing the Holy Spirit to control you. Because it's only when the Holy Spirit controls us that we can make it difficult for the sinful nature to operate. But when it doesn't, we're in trouble. So he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. I told you that's only Peter, apostles, Paul and Peter used it. The Greek word we're looking at. So apostle Peter used it to describe the sinful activities of pagans in First Peter chapter 4 verse 3. Well, looking at my, uh, the time here. I believe it's still time to take a break. And after break, we'll come, oh, after the Lord's Supper. So during the break, get your elements, and after it, we'll come back to our passage. <laughs> 